The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Tech podcast feed. Ready for your weekly tech fix? Want to know how technology sets us free? Well, get ready because here it comes. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, entrepreneur and technophile Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now, here's Brian. That's right. This is Brian Sovereign with you here for another great episode of Sovereign Tech. And I got to say that for me, this is a very, very special episode. Um, you know, I, I've promised bringing in lots of guests, and, and this week we have a guest, and, and this is very, very exciting for me. Uh, the guest we have today is Mike Elgin. Hello, Mike. Hello, Brian. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, no, I thank thank you for being on. Um, if you if you're not sure who Mike Elgin is, and I, uh, you know, you can look into he he's all over the place on the internet. Um, he he writes columns for various sites, magazines, uh, called to Mac, Computer World, Data Motion, PC. Where I mean, there's it's all over. Um, he also has a very and and this is this is something I really enjoy. Uh, he has a blog on Google Plus. It's really kind of would you say that's the best way to follow your work? Mike? Absolutely, absolutely best way to to follow me and not only my work but the work in progress that I do because I do a lot of. I, I, I bring in the Google Plus community to help me develop my ideas and stuff. Sure. Like that. And that's the thing is like, like when I said it was fan friendly, I mean, this is a really fan friendly blog. I mean, you really interact with people. And I think that's that's incredible. I don't see that a whole lot, even in the tech with the tech world. I just don't see a lot of people interacting so much. But on your blog, I mean, you know, you're plus wanting people. You're saying, you know, you're, you're, you're sharing ideas with them and everything. It's really, really impressive. Um, and also, you know, you make a lot of appearances like you are on this tech podcast. You make appearances on other tech podcasts like Twit, which is mm-hmm. probably the first place where I where I found about, found out about you. And just a really, really impressive. Uh, you, you brought a lot of things to light for me that I hadn't really thought about. Now, I've traveled the world a little bit, um, but you're really traveling the world. <laughs> I mean, you, you, I, I am. Yes, I, I've actually been traveling uh, the world uh, now full time since last summer. Amazing, and I ex- I hope, if I'm lucky, uh, to continue doing it for years. And uh, I guess we should probably talk about that because it's really all been enabled by consumer technology, mobile technology, the internet. Sure. Yeah. I mean, when when I saw you, I think the first time I saw you on Twit, you were I think you were in Kenya at the time, and. Yeah. I mean, you talked about things like M-Pesa, all of which I actually ended up talking about on this show, on Sovereign Tech. Um, I also, my very first night, I got to say this, my very first night on Free Talk Live, which is a, a, Nash, a United States nationally syndicated uh, radio show that I co-host on, my very first night on, I actually quoted some of your stuff. So oh, so my, my fans should, to some degree, know who you are anyway, uh, because I, I have, and actually, I think the first episode of Sovereign Tech, I also uh, ran a couple stories from your blog. So yeah, you've been a big help to me. And, and again, because it is so interesting, you're doing this thing called digital, being a digital nomad. Is that right? That's right. Uh, and the idea is, well, there, there's a, a digital nomad is simply somebody who is lucky and or skillful enough to be able to do work uh, from alternative locations. So, for example, uh, an example of somebody who's not a digital nomad would be 
uh, maybe somebody who's a, um, a a contractor in construction or or a uh, somebody who works in a specific type of office where customers come into that office and expect to see you there where your work is your work determines where you are when you're working right and and so technology increasingly allows a lot of people to work either do all of their work or do some of the work in places that uh, are not specified by the work itself so for example I would guess that probably most of the people listening to this program are digital nomads even if they never leave their office even if they work only from home or only from an office or if they occasionally work from Starbucks or wherever, if they can work somewhere else and choose to work in their office or at home, then they're still digital nomads. They're working where they choose to work. Right. No, they have alternatives. So my, so I, I'm trying to taxonomize this whole lifestyle because so many people uh, are entering into it and often don't even think about it that way. Uh, so in my own case, I'm a digital nomad uh, and and I can work where I choose to because I am a freelancer, uh, and I choose to work abroad. Right. So for 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 a long time, uh, I worked at home primarily, and I chose to work there at that time for other for for my own reasons. And nothing has really changed in terms of my status as a digital nomad who can choose where he works. Uh, in fact, my lifestyle has changed dramatically because I make it a different choice. But again, you know, everybody should kind of think about, you know, can I work? Where, where could I work? Like, could I work uh, some of the time at, at a coffee shop? Could I work some of the time in some other place? Could I work in, an, in a, in a rental office type place? Could I work uh, in another country? If, if, you know, there are a lot of families, in fact, now who um, they go on a family vacation. And in fact, I've done this where one of the people in the family, the, you know, one of the spouses has a vacation. They have vacation time. Yeah, take two weeks off. Right. And the other one doesn't. <laughs> but they all go on vacation anyway. <laughs> and one of them works and the other one plays. And, uh, you know, and again, I've done that. And, and this is sort of a, an, an, an increasing scenario that happens. And I think it's all good. I think it's a, a wonderful thing. Um, yeah. Now, you know, it makes me think of, I know a lot of companies, at least in the United States, um, where this show is based out of, uh, they are like, they were wanting people to work from home, you know, because it's cheaper than yep. having them come to an office. They can even close down entire sections of their buildings, you yep. know, and they don't have to pay for the heat or electric or whichever to do that. Yep. Um, and something else interesting real quick is I, I there, in fact, I think it was a picture just the other day on your blog, um, where it showed you, I think you're in a restaurant or something. I'm guessing in Barcelona where you are now. Um, and, and all you had was your phone. I think it was your iPhone. And you had a little uh, a little keyboard, and you said yeah. this was your office for the day. And I thought that was yeah. absolutely fantastic. And I mean, how often do you do that? Where it's just like you know a phone in the keyboard. Well, the the, the um, usually it's um, an iPad and a keyboard. Okay. Sometimes it's a phone and a keyboard, and I do that. So I, I kind of do this thing, and I love the winter now because <laughs> um, because my jacket is like a backpack, and I, right. I actually have a full size keyboard in one pocket. Uh, I, I would never get away with this in the summer if I'm just wearing lighter clothes or whatever. But yeah. I actually, actually have to have a, you know, some kind of little backpack or something like that. But you know, I in Barcelona here, I walk around with a keyboard, mm -hmm. and I have a fold-up 
gla uh, reading glasses in my pocket, and I have my uh, earbuds, my I, uh, you know Apple earbuds in a yep. pocket. I have my phone in a pocket, and I may or may not decide to work. You know, maybe my wife discovers something she wants to spend some quality time checking out. Maybe she wants some shopping, whatever, and we're sure. out and about in town and stuff like that. And I'll sit there in a coffee place and I'll actually do blogging or some research or do something. I just pull out my phone, pull out the keyboard. I can type like the wind, and <laughs> it's just a wonderful. Um, it's wonderfully freeing. Now, a lot of times, I you know I do need I do I do prefer to use my full size laptop. Sure. Uh, for for a variety of reasons, but you know it's like you get cabin fever. Uh, you know, <laughs> even like I'm in Barcelona. What we do is we use Airbnb usually, okay, uh, to rent an apartment. Yep, and we try to stay in each place for as long as we can, up to three months or so, because it gets expensive. You're traveling around because it's you're not. We're not tourists. You know, we're not. We're visitors, and we like to consider ourselves temporary locals everywhere we go. Yeah, <laughs> we're not tourists. We actually, you know, I work a lot. Like I work, you know, tw you know. 12 hours a day or something like that. Right. And so it can be actually kind of a grind to, um, to, to sit in some little apartment all day, every day for several days in a row. So I want to go out. I want to go, you know, I'm not, you know, I do take a couple of days off. We do go see the sites, go see the, you know, do a little bit of tourism. Yeah. But it's also nice to do an intermediate thing where you're working, but you're like in a cool place. Like in Barcelona, there are lots of cool places, a lot of cool coffee places and stuff where I can sit there and work. And when I look up from my work, I'm, Barcelona, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. You kind of get surrounded by some inspiration, I imagine too. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Amazing. Yeah. And I mean, I've heard that I've heard people, you know, kind of doing somewhat similar to you. They actually call themselves permanent tourists, but I like, I like the way you phrase it a lot better. Temporary local. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's pretty cool. Cause that guy, that makes well, you part of what's there. Absolutely. We, this is the third time we've been to Barcelona. Okay. My wife came and I came here on our honeymoon, uh, in the eighties actually. And then we came here again with our kids uh, years later, and now we're here, and the experience of being here this time is completely different. It's like a totally different place because we're not staying in a hotel. You know, we're eating in a lot of restaurants, but normally we don't. We usually cook or shop locally, you know, find out where the stores are. We have neighbors, you know, who we've got, you know, we, we recognize in the hallway. We, you know, so, so you become, a, it's a very different thing and a much more gratifying thing. To actually live in a place, you really get to know it. Um, so one of the things I, I like to tell people, because whenever, I, you know, social media is funny because you, you always try to show the cool stuff that you do. Yeah. You don't show, you don't show, you know, nobody posts a video of them doing the dishes or, you know, all the stuff that we all do, you know, all the, you know, drudgery. But if you go out and have some fun, you go to a cool place, you see something awesome, you take a picture, you post it, and it looks like you're having the, a different lifestyle than you really are. Yeah, it sure. looks much better than the one you really have. And so um, oftentimes people feel uh, a little weird about all the stuff that I post. Because, you know, I've been to Greece, we, you know, see all the sites in Greece, and we went to Turkey, and it was spectacular, and then we went to Africa, and went on safaris, and, you know, it sounds like I'm, like, some kind of jet-setting uh, playboy philanthropist, you know, billionaire. Or, <laughs> You're like Ric you know, Flair person. running around, sure. <laughs> yeah, and I've been accused many times of being um, extremely wealthy. Uh, I, I've been <laughs> accused of much, much worse things than that, but yeah. that, that's, that's one that's come up a lot now. And what people need to understand is that it's way cheaper to live abroad as a digital nomad than it is to live in the, in most places in the U.S. Sure. And in fact, in fact, the, the, our cost of living has gone down enormously. 
Uh, and 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 this just takes a little explanation because people don't really get the economics of this. Yeah, I mean that's that's something I wanted to ask is you know I think it's great the whole idea of a digital nomadism and and accurately I mean I do it to some small degree um, like when I'm traveling all I take with me is, is a phone and a keyboard similar to what you know you had displayed at one point um, but like what why travel the world like why 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 not be I mean you're from the United States why why are you heading out of the United States? There's something, a concept that I uh, like to call the happiness loophole. Okay. Uh, which is that when you are um, living in wherever it is you call home, whether it's U.S. or somewhere else, <clears throat> and you you live in the same house and you live in the same neighborhood and you have this you have the same radius so that you can reasonably go in a certain amount of time, and what's enjoyable is novelty. So you want to do something different. It's Friday night. You know, let's go do something different. You know, let's go to a movie and see a movie we haven't seen before. It's novel. Right. On. Twelve bucks a ticket. There's popcorn. You're maybe going to have dinner. Go. Let's try another restaurant. You know, it's like and and so novelty when you when you're a live a, a, a non nomadic life. Novelty is expensive. You almost always have to pay for some for anything that's going to be new to you. Mm-hmm. And so, and you know, that's why you go on vacations and trips and stuff like that. You want to see something new. You want to go somewhere else. And so, when you're a digital nomad, novelty isn't is usually free. So, for example, I love Barcelona. I would never want to live here. Like I would never want to live in Barcelona. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nothing wrong with Barcelona. I mean, I, I wouldn't hate to live in Barcelona, mm-hmm. but. It's a fantastic place to visit. It's new. Everything is new. The architecture's new. The food's new. The people are new. The language is new. The, you know, the, the scenery is new. It's, the, there's so much to discover. And most of that is, is just walking around, look at the new stuff, and it doesn't cost a penny. And so there's a, there's a happiness loophole there where if you're moving every few months, you're constantly in a state of being exposed to novelty, and that makes you happy. Right, and it's it's really it's really that you know this is what people crave when they feel that like they're being ground down by their lives and their jobs and their commute and all that stuff. It's the same thing every day. They don't mind the new stuff; they just don't like the same old stuff. And you know, let's <clears throat> let's remodel the kitchen. That'll be new. You know, that'll be twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, that'll be new. <laughs> uh, and so you know, it's it's very very expensive. So that's that's part of it. So let me go through that. Let me just give give. Uh, your listeners a uh, sort of a, a, a an idea about why it's so inexpensive to live abro- live abroad please and why people think that it's that i must be rich in order to be able to do this <laughs> when you when you uh, own or rent a home and you're stationary that you have there are lots of costs that just happen so you have to you know buy or lease a car it needs repairs every now and then you got always filling it with gas you, if you own a home, you're paying property taxes. You have to upkeep it, so you got to buy a garage full of mom or stuff, and you know, and and you know, stuff has constantly needs to be repaired, or you know, you you add things to your kitchen. You go to Costco every other week, and you every time you go to Costco, it's at least three hundred bucks. A big thing full of junk, and <laughs> you know, it's like it, it just just the costs are just. It seems like everything is kind of necessary. Um, but it's it's just very expensive to live. And then you say, okay, so let's go on vacation. We're going to go to Mexico for vacation. So you go to Mexico for a couple of weeks. You go to Cancun. So you go to a hotel. The hotel is $160 a night or it's $100 a night or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's is. You're paying for shelter. You're not only paying more 
on a nightly basis, then you're paying for your home back home, but you're still also paying for your home. So you're paying shelter in two locations while you're on vacation. Right. Okay. So it's, it's more than double for housing. And then you go and it's like, you don't live there. So it's like, well, you have to go, you every meal is room service or a restaurant or something. Even if you go to a cheap little place, find some little taco joint in Cancun, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be way more expensive than buying food at the grocery store and making it yourself. So you still got a fridge full of food. You have ketchup and mustard and all the spices and all the stuff you've already paid for. Now you know the place and you're in addition to what you've already purchased in terms of food, you're buying more food. Uh, everything is elevated. In order to get there and get back, you, you bought airfare. If you can get, you know, if it's, if it's two people, you know, you'd be lucky to, you, you know, if you can, $600 per person round trip, you'd, that's a really good price. Maybe you have a couple of kids. It's like, you know, by the time you're done with that vacation, like, oh my God, that was expensive. <laughs> we thought it was going to cost X. It cost X times two. And it was all additional cost, all of it. And so when you hear about somebody who's traveling full time, you think, oh, my God, how do they do that? It's like I, two weeks almost killed me, you know, uh, financially. Um, so now now look at the digital nomad lifestyle. We, we, put a, we got rid of as much stuff as we could, could do, which was hard to do, actually. It's yeah. very difficult to go through and get rid of your stuff. Put the stuff we couldn't get rid of into storage. Um, we, um, we used to own our home. Then we decided to go digital nomad so we rented a very small place and then my wife got this great job so it was delayed for three years etc it's a long story but sure point is we we had an apartment the, the last for the last few years so we you know got you know no more apartment so so now we're in a situation where it's not duplicate shelter it's not duplicate food it's just the, the shelter and the food we pay for is is all that we pay for yeah, I think, you know, I mean, that's a really great point. Um, in fact, people I know, like I mentioned earlier, like these people that are like permanent tourists, they're still paying rent and all that stuff. I mean, yes. this this is, yeah, yeah, honestly, this is a bit of stroke of genius here. <laughs> yeah, well, I, and I'm not finished. So, so yeah, check keep this going. out. So when we had an apartment, we had a pretty nondescript, okay apartment in Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley is a really expensive place to live. So a lot of this doesn't apply to people who don't live in exaggeratedly inflated housing markets and stuff but we had an apartment so what do you need in an apartment well um when you move into an apartment you need certain types of furniture you buy all that stuff you need some kind of internet thing so typical we did the typical thing where you know the cable company they give us a cable package with a you know came with the phone and the internet stuff we didn't want the phone but it was part of the package and right so we're paying this you know i don't know what it was it was like you know 100 and something dollars a month or something like that paid for utilities you pay for water you pay for this you pay for that and it's like and and then when we go uh to airbnb and get an apartment let's say we find an apartment they usually have an, a monthly rate you know the daily and weekly and monthly rates uh typically uh and, and it's a buyer's market you go there and there's dozens in mo- most major cities there's lots and lots of choice mm-hmm. uh and you go and you you, you do these little checkboxes it's like i need this i need wi-fi i need this that and the other thing so we don't pay for the Wi-Fi. We don't pay for the TV. We don't pay for utilities. <laughs> we, we pay the rent that we agree to. Right. We, we get in and like the place we're staying in now is the most expensive we've uh, stayed in, uh, in in this whole trip so far. Um, and Greece was the least expensive. Um, and, you know, the, the, the kitchen is stocked with pots, pans, dishes. They even come spices. They even stock the refrigerator with jam and like 
all this kind of stuff. It's like really nice, really nice. And it's plug and play. These apartments are always plug and play, ready to go. They give you the sheets, the blankets, the bed, everything. And this is all through Airbnb, right? Airbnb. Amazing. And so so the price you pay for rent, you're done. You don't pay anything else for your housing, no utilities, no internet, no nothing. None of the rest. So so even if even if the the monthly rate for what we get abroad is identical to the monthly rate we would pay in the United States, it's still way cheaper because we're done paying for stuff. Yeah. Okay, and so it's that, got to be a another, lot less of a headache, too. I mean, yeah, you know, no stress exactly. there. <laughs> right. So that, that's another thing. The other thing is that there's a lot of stuff that's really expensive in the U.S. It's very cheap in different countries uh, and vice versa. They, every place you go, we've learned, there are things that are crazy cheap hmm. and other things that are crazy expensive. So let me give you one example from two recent countries. When we were in um, Kenya, uh, we're not huge drinkers, but we like to drink wine. And sure. so – all the wine there is imported. There's some Kenyan wine, but it's all pretty expensive. And, you know, a cheap bottle of wine in Nairobi is going to be $15, $20. Right. Cheap. That's the cheap bottle of wine. Wow. Okay. Uh, but, you, uh, but you want, you know, to make some Mexican food or something, which, by the way, Nairobi has great Mexican food. Nobody knows this. Who would have thought that? <laughs> uh, have thought. But wow. they, they're really big into avocados. Now, avocados, are, you know, it's a Central American uh, fruit. But yeah. Um, you can buy a, a gigantic avocado in, in Nairobi for like 10 cents. It's crazy. Wow. Cheap. Something like that. So it's an expensive food that's very inexpensive. For some reason, Nairobi, wine is very expensive. So you go, to, you go to Barcelona, and the avocados are massively expensive. A tiny avocado costs, you know, 2 or $3. Right. And you can get a bottle of wine. They have these wine stores where they have these um, big barrels with spigots. And you can get a bottle of wine for less than two euros so so a tiny <laughs> avocado is actually less expensive in barcelona than a reasonably good bo- no it's not a, it's a high quality wine but it's not bad like the, all the wine in bar in spain mm-hmm. like even the mediocre wine is pretty good sure by, by american standards i mean their wine situation is really uh, cool so you can you when you go to different countries you buy the things that are super cheap and save a fortune on, on stuff when we were right. in greece the olive oil and feta cheese were were just dirt cheap. Oh, well, it had to be a steal super, there. Yeah, yeah, super high quality, and so we're living on this stuff. And sure. our food costs were very low because of it. So anyway, there's all kinds of things like that, that you can do that that just make it very, very inexpensive. And and you know, you, you never hear people talking about this, right? It, you know, and the key the key is um, is to get rid of the, of your housing in in at home, and, yeah, and just go completely nomadic. I think that is absolutely amazing. Um, I mean, Sovereign Tech, it's a show about science, technology, and how it sets you free, and this is definitely setting you free. I mean, that, that that's incredible. Um, and and, and I, I'm really, I'm, I'm in awe at, at how inexpensive, you know, it, it all seems to be, clearly. Uh, that, that's, that is wild. Really, really wild. And you're listening to Sovereign Tech with our special guest, Mike Elgin. This is Brian Sovereign. Are you ready? I've never seen anyone so treated like a a god in my life. Brian Sovereign as guest co-host tomorrow night, and so that should be a good show. On that note, uh, what we just we added to- Brian Sovereign. Okay, we haven't. Oh, is he good? He's been in the audience. He's, oh, yeah, he's certainly got opinions on things. Yes. 
point. I'm so close to being like God. No one is above me. Okay, absolutely no one. I don't take <laughs> orders from anybody. And I mean that—that's how much closer to God can you get? Is there anything he doesn't do better than everyone else? Oh, that's just his way of talking. He's one of the best. Break it down. Catch Sovereign Tech, the show about technology and how it can set you free with me, Brian Sovereign. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N at SoundCloud.com slash Sovereign Tech. You are listening to Sovereign Tech. Uh, We are joined graciously by Mike Elgin. And now a question I want to ask um, is what are, what are the internet, you know, what is internet connection like around the world? I mean, there's, okay, you know, prices are cheaper and things like that. Clearly this kind of lifestyle, now, actually, let me ask this first, this kind of lifestyle, is that, is that only possible? Has that only been possible for the past maybe 10 years because of technology? Yeah, it's, well, um, yeah, I mean, pretty much. You, the, uh, I've been doing smaller digital nomad trips for a while. I guess the first one was 2006. Okay. And um, my wife and my kids and uh, I went to Central America and we went to these different Mayan ruins. So this is in a place where the development of, of internet technology is probably average. On okay. A global. It's not, they're not super advanced. They're not super behind. They, you know, it's pretty average. And we pretty much got away with it. We, I had to do a lot, lot of hoofing it around town looking for Wi-Fi, and it's all with Wi-Fi back then. There was, there, there wasn't a reasonable option to do mobile broadband in that area. Right. And so, but but a lot of the Wi-Fi uh, networks, because it was kind of a new thing, were just open and unpassword protected. So I would just, you know, I, I would just go to a cafe that was across, you know, next door to a hotel, and I'd get onto the hotel's Wi-Fi, and it was just open. It's no big deal. Uh, and in that case, by the way, um, I didn't tell my editors that I was traveling abroad. I wanted to see if they could tell, if they could, if they could notice anything different. And they couldn't. So we were gone uh, five or six weeks, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was one point of um, reference. And then in 2008, um, we went to uh, Greece for about four months. That was more challenging because the, in Greece, the um, – they're kind of stingy about Wi-Fi. They still are. They, you know, you, they, they kind of want you to buy something. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and it's and it's kind of expensive. And so I, we were staying with uh, relatives back then, and we were in this kind of neighborhood where a little bit away from the city center. And, you know, the, uh, our cousins had uh, Wi-Fi in their house, which is okay. And then I would go to this thing called the Flow Cafe, which is kind of like Greece's Starbucks Okay, and the the, uh, the 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 problem with that was not only was the exchange rate horrible, and I just got killed with the exchange rate. You know, I, a cup of coffee was like five dollars or something like that. Oh wow! Um, and I'd want me, I'd want to be sitting there for six, seven, eight hours at a time, and they were fine with me sitting there, but you know, I kind of felt obligated to buy things. It was sure. pretty expensive. But the other problem is that they smoke like chimneys there in two thousand eight. <laughs> They have laws now against smoking, and everybody ignores those laws. Right. But, um, but Greek people sit in cafes smoking cigarettes for hours and hours and hours, and it's just you can't breathe. And after a while, I, I was like getting a nicotine uh, headaches and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. So that, that was actually pretty challenging. Uh, but nowadays, it's, you know, it's, it's much um, 
and it, and it, it depends on 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 where you are. I, I was surprised that in Nairobi it was actually pretty easy. Nairobi has a um, you know they're they they're just getting into smartphones now mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Huawei is uh, making a big push and Samsung is also trying to penetrate that market with sure with uh, with mob- with smartphones. But um, but you know you go to any nice restaurant, any nice coffee place. Uh, and they're going to have free Wi-Fi. They just give you the password. And right. It's like no big deal. And so you're not using like 3G anywhere. I mean, you're just going totally Wi-Fi. I mean, 3G is really not even out there in a lot of these places, right? We have, I carry an iPhone that I only use with, on Wi-Fi. And then my wife and I share a, um, uh, a, a Nexus, Google Nexus, which we, in a, about half the time, we, we'll, we'll throw up, um, we'll get a local data connection just right. when you make calls and just for you know emergency stuff but it's really a, a problematic thing um to get mobile uh broadband locally because it, it can be very expensive it can be very challenging go to you have all these funky rules uh for example here in spain you know a lot of times they you they want you to choose whether you get voice or data right uh and it's like well you know, I kind of like to have both. Um, and then the data is capped at 100 megs, and it's like, that scares me because, you know, I don't know. Um, you can go to Google Plus, and I don't know, if I download the uh, What's Hot list, is that going to have 100 megs of pictures right there? Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't even know. I mean, it's like there's no way to really monitor that. And um, so it's it's just really a pain in the neck. What I really would like is uh, – uh, you know, to to be able to get unlimited mobile broadband wherever I go, and then ha- not have to worry about. It. But that's that's not easy to find anymore. No, right. I mean, I, and I imagine that's. I mean, even in a lot of areas, that's probably something that's still working coming down the line. I mean, I know something like a lot of international phones have like multiple SIM slots. Yeah. Uh, be, because there is there isn't like the standardization, um, like there are in in, in some other countries, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, that, I mean, that's interesting. I, yeah, I was curious. Uh, that that was w- definitely one of the big questions I was wondering about is that, uh, you know, how exactly, you know, were you working this? But, I mean, connecting to the Wi-Fi and, you know, in various, uh, you know, coffee shops and restaurants, things like that, that, that makes total, total sense. Um, but, it, I mean... It, not- sounds, it sounds counterintuitive, but I actually spend almost all my time within a Wi-Fi network because, right. you know, again, we're not tourists. I, I, you know, our apartment has Wi-Fi. And across the street is a place with Wi-Fi, and around the corner is another place with Wi-Fi, and so it's it's really there's just Wi-Fi everywhere. And the only time I don't have it is when I'm walking between places or when we're walking around. And I don't really I don't need to be connected. Right, it's not that big a deal. Sure, all the time it, it would be kind of nice actually, you know, and some for for to use some of the apps that you know like to use like for example a few days ago uh, Field Trip, uh, Google's Field yep. Trip app came out on the ios and i'd like to have that on my iphone and just have things popping up and telling me what's as you going go around on. yeah i could see definitely going around the world that would be really cool yeah 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 okay uh well you know and, and this this is something uh okay so you're in barcelona um and i'd like i'd like to talk a little bit about this but recently there was the uh the mobile world congress Yes. And you did attend that, the 2013. I did, yeah. Okay. And, you know, what was your, if you could explain a little bit about what it is, and, and, and I'd love to get your insights on, you know, all about it. Well, the, the, the Mobile World Congress is, um, is the leading mobile phone show, basically. Okay. Uh, and there, there are the things. They, you know, they always, the, the related uh, technologies always seep in. But it's, it's a gigantic show. 
similar to CBIT, but it's less about gadgets and more about phones okay. specifically. Uh, and it it takes place every year. It's uh, it's a you know it's three or four days of just you know they're they're massive buildings full of gigantic booths uh, and you know multiple buildings. So let, just as an example of how ginormous some of these booths are, like the Samsung booth was probably the size of I don't know a average size Walmart or something. Wow! I mean, just just one booth, and they, they they'll have like the it's it's like a it's like uh, they have like three or four Apple stores worth of tables with these uh, tethered devices on them, just device, device, device. And oftentimes it's table after table after table after table mm-hmm. is showing you multiple copies of the exact same model. So HTC's booth, for example, they probably – and I didn't count them, but I should have. But they, they probably had 200 HTC ones on display for you to play with. Wow. Uh, and and so they, they're all kind of gathered around this sort of – area where they had gymnasts and they had all these poles and they had gymnasts like jumping from pole to pole and doing flips and diving off the stuff and doing all this crazy stuff so you could try the camera okay uh, you know <laughs> it's, 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 it's a crazy show it's, it's very it's a circus <laughs> it, it's a, it's as big of and crazy of a show as any there is it's it's a, up there with cbit or uh or ces yeah or like ces and, sure and others. yeah um this year the the uh there was a lot there was some disappointment in the the number of announcements that were made. So everybody wanted Samsung to announce their Galaxy uh, S4. They didn't. They announced before the show that they would, well, they, they hinted that they would be announcing it right. later. And in fact, they didn't. They showed other stuff. Um, but to me, the show, um, shows shows like this are not super valuable to me because of the way I write. So there, there, there's different types of tech journalists. There's... Um, for your listeners, oftentimes uh, uh, the the reading public doesn't uh, think of different types of journalists in this way, and often right. journalists don't either. But but uh, for the most part, there are different types of journalists. So there, there are access journalists. So the big access journalist would be like Scoble. He's not. I don't know if he's a journalist or not, but you know, he's, he, if he was, he's an access journalist. So an access journalist is somebody who goes to all the events. They go to all the shows. They hobnob with the the people in the industry right they rub elbows sure they rub elbows with the seats of power and they report on what they learn and see and what they hear and throw their opinions in there and that's that's an access journalist um there are user journalists so a good example would be uh what is his name the guy with search engine land um oh uh you know who i'm talking about yeah i do i do awesome guy hardworking guy um, and a user journalist is somebody who will take technology and they'll use it as a user, as an advanced user, and they'll poke at it and they take it apart and they'll look inside and they'll, they'll try different things and they'll report on their personal experience, usually with some metho- methodology, metho- methodologically, and, and they'll report on the, what the deal is with the products. It's not about the industry. It's not about the business deals and the acquisitions. It's mostly about here's the product, here's what it does, here's what it doesn't do, here's how it compares to the other products. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a user uh, journalist. Then there are, uh, and, and sort of reviewers would be fall into that category as well. Right. So I do what what um, I would consider like a, a user um, uh, um, a sort of a market and analyst type, type yeah. journalist. I'm interested in the culture. So right. I, I'm, I don't, I don't, uh, 
I don't, I'm, and I'm not a reporter, so I don't go anymore. I've done it many years ago, but I don't go and say, well, here, well, I sometimes do, but you know, my, my big thing is like, I, I look at it and I kind of step back and say, what is this, how is this changing how people live? How is this altering, um, and how is this not changing how people live and how it should change? And so I'm kind of like a, sort of like a philosopher. I sort of look at what it is and think about it and come back with an idea that helps people think about it. And, and so when I go to a show like this, it's not super useful because if they're announcing some big thing and, you know, Huawei has some big announcement and they announce the world's fastest smartphone, well, you know, 300 people are going to report that story. They're going to get all the facts out there. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be there and be the, you know, yet another person reporting the same list, short list of facts. Right. It doesn't do me any good to, to spend an hour at this at this launch. And then there's the, you know, discovery of information. It's kind of useful for that. You sort of wander around and, wow, I hadn't heard of this company ask them some questions and stuff like that. And that's great for small companies, but for any medium-sized or large companies, it's completely useless because you walk up and there's some person they hired for the booth. They don't know anything. They're, they're, there, they're just there to keep you away from the, uh, you know, the, the big wigs. And you're, you're yeah. kind of like just, you know, even as a journalist, you're, you're just another attendee, basically, as far mm-hmm. as they're concerned. You can't get anywhere. You can't get any information. You guys announcing anything? No, we're not announcing anything. What are you showing? Well, we're showing our blah 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 solution. Blah. You know, it's <laughs> so boring. And it's, it's such a waste of time because right. you have to spend a day, you know, of slogging through these halls to find one little piece of nugget you can use. So, you know, I I, I kind of go. I don't go to these shows very often. I went to this one just because I've never been. Sure. Um, but I, I just, you know, th- these these big shows just don't. Uh, they're not that beneficial for me personally. Right, and you know, and that's something I really like out of your writing is that it is about. I, I think you you described it very accurately. It is about you know what does this mean to the end user? What does this mean to me? What does this mean to the future, etc. And I like that kind of thinking, um, you know, and I like that kind of writing. And so I mean, so you didn't. Do, what did you walk away with as far as from Mobile World Congress? What does this mean to you know to everybody to users? Well, what was interesting, it's it's really bizarre to come, like, you know, to be immersed in Silicon Valley. I used to live in Silicon Valley mm-hmm. and where, you know, Apple and Google and to a lesser extent Facebook really dominate the whole culture and in the mobile scene, of course, it's it's Apple and Google. Right. And there's and their their dominance seems so effortless in a way, um, from Silicon Valley and it all makes sense from Silicon Valley. And then you come to Europe, and neither Google nor Apple had any significant presence. I mean, Apple was here with some meeting rooms. I'm sure there were Apple employees walking around anonymously with their badges turned around, uh, just scoping stuff out. Right. But neither one of them had any booth. Like last year, Google had an enormous booth. This year, nothing. And so the show was really about everybody except Apple and Google. And it's kind of shocking. You see, you see so many companies working so hard and trying so hard and spending so much money to try to make a dent in the mobile industry. And just as a recap for, for people who, uh, who did, you know, for context, uh, these are businesses. They're in it for profits. Revenues right. are great. Profits are really what businesses want. Absolutely. And in the mobile industry, Samsung and Apple, in terms of what is normally construed of as mobile revenue, which comes from apps and hardware sales and so on. Uh, Apple gets most of it, 70-something percent. I don't remember what the exact numbers are. Mm-hmm. Samsung gets the rest. Yeah, I mean, they're really these, the two giants, yeah. no doubt. Yeah, 
and all these other companies, in other words, every company at at Mobile World Congress gets zero. Right. I mean, it's really shocking. And 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 then and then you have Google, which um, I'm exaggerating by saying it's zero. There are a few companies that make a little bit of of, right. of net income, but. Uh, and then there's Google, which I think in the U.S. market they get 93 percent of the mobile ad revenue, and globally it's very high as well. Yeah. And so, so in the mobile ad revenue, they're just Google is completely dominant, and it's just you know it's just it's just crazy to see how this is. And 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 the other thing, I, the other takeaway um, was just the aggressiveness by which the the Chinese giants are coming coming at everybody. Sure, so you know, well that's and ZTE. Right. I mean, now that's a, that's kind of a big thing is that, you know, because Apple's trying to get into these markets, I think, right? Uh, like mm-hmm. China and things like that. And you said they weren't really, I mean, there's a few guys, but they weren't really present. Now, is that due to a lot of these other countries uh, that the Mobile World Congress would, would appeal to, um, that they don't have the same kind of patent laws and, and copyright and all that stuff? Is is that the edge? Well, I think I think the, the edge, they, they have two major edges, which are specifically talking about the Chinese, the, the Chinese companies that are, I think are most um, relevant are Lenovo, which is a PC yep. company, uh, and they're really aggressive in smartphones now. So there's Huawei and there's ZTE. There's also cool, another company called CoolPad and a few others. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are literally more than 200 companies in China making smartphones. Wow. Um, it's, it's pretty incredible, but they they have multiple um, advantages. One of them is that they have uh, they're Chinese companies, so they have access to the manufacturing prowess of China uh, in a way that doesn't necessarily have to go through a contract uh, uh, company like Foxconn. Uh, and Foxconn uh, is a Taiwanese company functioning in China, and right. they they have to get profit. And they also have to deal with all, you know, they're in the spotlight with all kinds of regulations and stuff like that, whereas a ZTE or a Huawei may not necessarily do that. The other thing is that both ZTE and Huawei are subsidized to a certain extent by the Chinese government. Yes. So they actually have, so while a company like Foxconn and even more so companies like Apple and others, they, there are some, some subtle roadblocks put in their way by the Chinese government, the Huaweis and the ZTEs are kind of like, the opposite they get oh they just get free reigns free they get they get lots of bennies and, yeah. and so it's easier for them to do business the second advantage is uh that they you know if you if you can make it big in china then you're gonna you're gonna have hundreds of millions of users oh sure and so <laughs> and that's a good platform and so what 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 these companies are all doing is they're doing what samsung did so what they do is they find a market starting with china and they think well how can we give the low-end people, what the high-end, a version of what the high-end people have. So, you know, a few years ago, the the, the, the fancy pants, a wealthy Shanghai uh, Chinese uh, per, middle class or upper middle class person would have a, a, a really nice Samsung phone or an iPhone or whatever. And so the Huawei's would come along and say, how can we get something that's a lot like those phones to sell it for 90 bucks? Right. Uh use android and would you know figure it out and just and so they and so they start just just dropping these things from helicopters over the cities (laughs) and just get everybody on the low end using these devices 
and then they have all this market share and then they, they you know they may have some custom application and because they have so many users they might get some people writing for that and so they sort of bootstrap it from the bottom up okay. and then they take that and they go to Africa and they do the same thing you see you know, uh, something like um, half of the smartphone users in Kenya use Huawei phones you go to Amazing. the United States and you say oh, what's a Huawei and people say I've never heard that Sure, they look at you like you're alien. Yeah. <laughs> you, go, you go to Nairobi and it's like, oh, that's the phone. That's the phone. That, right. That's the awesome phone that like my cousin has and my friend has. And, you know, and so, um, so, so, and and then they, they bootstrap that. And so, you know, they, they kind of sneak up on you. So, the, so the people like you and me who cover, you know, technology, we like the bleeding edge. Right. Uh, you know, we, we obsessed with Apple, Google and all these big companies and stuff like that. And then when, when all of a sudden you're reading some report and you, you see the global unit share numbers of these companies, you're like, my God, Huawei has hundreds of millions <laughs> of customers. You know, it was shocking to know, for right. example, that Apple is the number six handset vendor in China. Number six, CoolPad is bigger than Apple. That is, that is amazing. It's shocking, and these yeah. guys, and so they're they're really gunning for the whole world. They want it. They all want to be Samsung, right? Uh, and Samsung wants to be Apple. So Samsung's trying to do this thing where they they they, they don't want to. They, they can't compete as a hardware vendor against these Chinese companies in the future, and they know they can't. So they want to become like Apple. They want to go for the high end. They want to sell the apps. They want to sell the info uh, the, the, the the ecosystem. They want services. They want cloud services, and they want to even control the operating system so they have one called Tizen that they're working on that they hope that for a lot of handsets will replace Android right and and so so it's, it's really it's really a fluid market and you saw this I mean if you if you didn't know what the um, what the market looked like in real life you would and you went to um, the Mobile World Congress uh, as an innocent starting from scratch you think okay the big the big companies in this industry are Samsung and Huawei. <laughs> They're the only ones that, because they had massive booths. And, right. and I went to this, I went to this Huawei thing and I'm like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to spend a couple hours checking out the Huawei booth. I went there and they had like bouncers at the door that turned me away. Bouncers? Bouncers. They scanned my thing and they're like, nope, you're press. You can't come in. And, uh, you know, but I could see, you know, pass them into the booth and they had two, 3,000 people in this booth. Wow. Almost all of them wearing suits. They were shaking hands and doing business and doing all kinds of stuff. And it was just the, it's a very, you know, you're like, what? You know, they, they're really, really, really pushing hard. And what they're doing is they're whining and dining, wheeling and dealing, everybody in Europe that they can get, the, you know, that they can get access to. And, you know, they're, they're really being aggressive. And so it's, it's really fascinating to see. I agree. That is absolutely incredible. Um, you're listening to Sovereign Tech with Mike Elgin joining me, and this is Brian Sovereign. We'll be back with more. What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM.
Welcome back to Sovereign Tech. We are being joined by Mike Elgin. And you see, now this is this is one of the reasons I really like your work. I really like following your blog because I you don't you really I, I don't feel like you get especially from someone you, you know that that speaks English. <laughs> you know yeah. uh, you don't you don't get someone that that has this worldview, this literal yeah. worldview. And I really I mean I think that's great. I really appreciate that. And so I want to urge again, you know, my listeners to to definitely check out the check out your blog on Google Plus, and and I'll be linking to that in the show notes. Um, but it raises a question when you talked about the bouncers. Um, it, and my my question was is that how you know you're a digital nomad, and you kind of. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously you're going from country to country. How do you feel? There was a recent story here in the United States where, where the, the federal court decided that, you know, the, the border patrols, if you're coming into the United States, the border patrols, they, they can't just like look at your, you know, they can't grab your phone and just look at it for no reason whatsoever as to where yeah. before they were doing that. How do, how do you run into those kind of privacy issues around the world? I wonder. Well, um, it, it it absolutely depends on where you go. I mean, they, they're they're um, and 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 that depends on what their history is. So if you go to the Middle East, um, if you go in, into Israel and um, and my son did this, he's a, a, a somewhat of a digital nomad or okay. was t- until he started uh, got a new job recently. Um, there's all kinds of crazy stuff that is involved in traveling. Um, if, for example, if you go from a, um, a an Arabic-speaking Muslim country to Israel, they w- you're going to be interrogated in some room somewhere, and as my son was, and it's just the fact that you came from Egypt, the fact that he came from Egypt was a source of suspicion. So that alone, it's not even that alone, right? Okay, and they gotcha. Want, they want to check out your stuff. They, they they and these guys know what they're looking for, right? The Israeli security guys, they live and die by their knowledge and their lack of gullibility. They don't just have TSA flunkies just waving people through and just kind of just going through the motions. They really, um, they really check and look. Yeah, they're, they're serious. Very serious. And likewise, if you come from Israel and go to some countries, they don't even want you in the country because you were in Israel. So right. there's all kinds of weirdness like that. There was, um, but, but for the most part, most countries are far less um, freaked out about security than the U.S., Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's really, it was trivial coming in, uh, to Spain. You know, we have a lot of stopovers. We went through Turkey, uh, the first time when we were on our way to Greece. Um, so it's, it's really been, um, uh, not a big deal at the end of the day though. The, the thing that's interesting about the U.S. compared to other countries is that one by one countries step up their security. And they'll do different stuff. So there's a lot of countries where you don't have to take off your shoes ever. And that's oh, kind that's of interesting. Kind of policy. Yeah. Um, it's pretty common to take your laptop out. Um, uh, it's, it's pretty universal. Um, but ultimately, if countries decide that uh, that they want to have a policy where they can just grab your laptop and if you want to come in the country we, we get to look through your laptop they'll just go ahead and do that and this is this is where you really see the magic of the constitution so so the the constitution was enacted in an era when kind of reason prevailed over politics <laughs> uh for this brief moment and then it was enshrined in stone and and so th- this battle over unreasonable searches and seizures 
is going to continue, and ultimately the Constitution is going to prevail, and, you, and they're not going to, by law, be able to, no matter what anybody wants, go through your, you know, you know, 10 years from now, I, I'm pretty sure that it's just not something they're not going to be able to legally do mm-hmm. uh, under any circumstances, whereas in most of the world, they're just going to do it because they don't have a Constitution. Right, then. like like does, or one that was old as ours, or one that specified uh, a protection from unreasonable searches without probable cause and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, something I've considered. Now, I haven't like traveled out of the country in a few years, and things have gotten significantly worse since the last time I have. And like, I even contemplated, I'll just get you know a tablet, and I'll wipe that thing when I get to the border, and then when yeah. I get oh, when then when I get um, you know like with a you know, a, a Nexus 10 or something, which can have multiple users. And then I can just log into the, the tablet when I get to my destination and all my stuff will download back to it. I mean, that was like the solution yeah. that I was coming to. Um, yeah. I certainly hope countries like back off of really invading people's privacy. I mean, and, and, and actually that federal court decision I thought was pretty interesting because the guy said, it's like, you know, you choose what papers you bring across the border, but you can't choose, you can't really go deleting a bunch of files off your laptop. You, these people can't just go, you know, accessing that. So, so the, the, the right thoughts I think were there by and large. Yeah. Um, so, but, but so, so you feel, and, and I've heard this quite a bit, but I mean, so, so your feeling is, is that, you know, in other countries, it's just, you just kind of go across and it's not as serious. Yeah, it's not a big deal. They, they they certainly aren't concerned about digital files, right? Uh, in the places where I've been, they might be concerned about weapons or you know, oh drugs sure, or sure, something like that. Every country has its own. Uh, you know, you go to some Muslim countries and they're concerned about you know different things, but hardly anybody's really super freaked out. At least, of course, we haven't been uh, to a, a lot of different places. We haven't been to Iran, for example. Uh, they may, they may, maybe they're going to be freaked out because they're pretty digitally savvy. But then the the government is also very religiously repressive and 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 focused. So who knows what they do when you come in? Right. Um, that's an interesting so, point. Actually, you're the second person on this show that's made that statement. Um, I've been to, I've been there, and like, I mean, internet's good. Every, I mean, it, it's a it's a metropolitan place. When the news tells you, you know, oh, it's all backwater in Iran. You know what I mean? And it's well, not Iran. I don't. Uh, when when were you in Iran? Uh, well, it's it's been it's been a few years now. So yeah. So the, the Iran used to be very unusual in that they had this free and open internet thing with no censorship right. and none. Of, and they've been cr- clamping down on that. So every month that goes by, Iran gets more like China or even worse. Where it's but a few years ago, it was wide open. And in terms of modernity, in terms of all that stuff, they are super modern. And the other thing that I think will surprise people, and this is, I've only read this, I haven't been, uh, but, and, and you can probably verify this, is that Iranians are super friendly to Americans. They, yes. They, there's no, it's not like, you, you, you get the feeling from watching the U.S. media that they would, you'd, you'd get everybody glaring at you and hostile or whatever. It's not like that at all. People are super friendly, Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And, and in fact, that, that leads me, if I can, to another question um, in that. I mean, I think I think the, the United the, the mainstream media in the United States, they like to paint this brush that it's dangerous for Americans to go anywhere else in the world. You know, yeah. like, oh, don't go there. You, you know, they, they don't they hate Americans or, or this and that. I mean, have you experienced anything like that myself? I really haven't. I haven't. Uh, I mean, the uh, everywhere I go, the. Um I've been struck by the gigantic uh, gulf between the reality right. of 
every country I've been in, and the uh, sort of perception of being abroad that you get in the U.S., and that's partly through the media, partly for other reasons. But uh, everywhere we go, people are super nice, friendly, um, intelligent, uh, just interesting people, uh, hardworking, you know, you you just we were especially blown away in Kenya. Um, Kenya, you know, you, when people think of Kenya, they think, oh, you know, they imagine starving people, like right. you know, eating this like white stuff out of a bowl, and just this completely. You go to Kenya, and it's just a hive of activity. Everybody's working. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are doing. You know, a lot of it is very um, kind of low tech stuff. For example, there's huge furniture industry in Kenya where the furniture is all manufactured by the side of the road. So somebody who makes and sells furniture will set up shop and they'll they'll basically claim, uh, you know, a 50 by 20 foot space on the shoulder of a major road and say, this is my space. Uh, and they will get they will collect big pieces of wood and they will hack beds, (laughs) cabinets, uh, all kinds of furniture. And they just put it on the side of the road. It pours rain right on the furniture. Wow. And people buy this furniture and it's actually a thriving business. And so you'll go to lots of places where there'll be furniture guy, furniture guy, furniture guy, furniture guy, furniture guy, all like all in a row. Uh, But the, and, and you kind of like, you're kind of in awe of it really. I mean, here here are people who um, their tools are chisels, uh, hammer, um, <laughs> screwdriver, and a couple of stuff like that. And and from that, they've got a furniture outlet and, and, in the middle of nowhere. And it and it's and they do it. And they, they you know you would you'd want this furniture. It's like it's kind of rough in a cool kind of way. And they right. carve elephants on it and make it. You know they they. They Kenya it up, if you know, yeah. if you will. They, <laughs> sure. Um, because it makes it more interesting. But there's lots of things like that that you never hear about where you're like, oh my God, this is just, these people are industrious and. Yeah, thriving creative. entrepreneurship. That's. Yes, yes, wow. yeah. And so, and so I, I don't personally know a whole lot about Kenya as a whole. I feel like I know Nairobi really well. Sure. sure. And I certainly don't know a lot about Africa because I've only been to Kenya. But Kenya kind of blew me away. Um, it they they always have horror stories about carjacking stuff like that and violence. I never felt threatened. I never saw a crime committed by right. anyone. Uh, I I just uh, it's not to say that it doesn't exist, but uh, the the world is a be- you know if anybody thinks that the world is a big scary dangerous place, that is mistaken. The world <laughs> by and large is a wonderful, open, friendly, safe place. I love it. I, yeah, I, I I totally agree, um, and and I think maybe that's a that's a great point to really end on. Um, if if you had, unless you had anything else you wanted to add, Mike. No, no not really. Um, uh, I, I'd like to give a shout to uh, my friends on Google Plus. Google Plus is another open, friendly, awesome place that's a hive of activity, and uh, and so that's another. We talked about how you know people don't understand. Uh, in the, in the within the tech bubble, uh, the U.S. tech bubble that covers tech, 
you can miss a lot of stuff that's happening outside that bubble. Yeah. Same thing yeah. with Google Plus. There's a lot of people who think that Google Plus isn't super active, and that's because the elites who sort of like have everybody's attention about technology are off looking, chasing the next thing, feed or whatever. Mm -hmm. But from a global perspective, Google Plus is a massive, growing, thriving uh, ecosystem that is the is the is the social network that really matters. Yeah, I, and yeah. Go ahead. Eventually, Go ahead. everybody will wake up to it. Even even the Silicon Valley tech press. Yeah, I, I yeah. agree. I um, actually last week on the show, I said, you know, hey, everybody, let's jump on Google Plus, um, you know, and let's see if we can really make something happen with this. Because and what I've noticed is that Facebook, I mean, OK, yeah, everybody, you know, is kind of there. But like with Google Plus, like everybody around the world is there. And yeah. and that's really a stark contrast. Uh, and I also find it interesting. Um, Facebook recently uh, redid their news feed and I looked at it and I said, well, it's Google Plus. You know, it looks just like it. Um, so yeah, Google Plus, plus I, giant ads. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, which Google Plus won't do to you. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I'm totally with you on that. I think Google Plus is definitely a thriving place, and it's it's something that could definitely uh, get a lot more use, whether people realize it or not. So the other the other part of it that people need to know is that uh, right now there's a plugin for Chrome that translates language, mm -hmm. and so you can just say translate every foreign language in English. So it's all the comments from around the world, and all of a sudden it becomes English. Yeah, uh, and I'm certain that that functionality is the future of social networking. And so we're entering in a, into a world where everybody speaks your language, no matter what language you speak. Right. And that is an amazing world. Yeah, I love it. I love the idea. You know, I mean, we talked about borders a bit. Uh, uh, and, and I love the idea of just borders kind of like, I mean, they're just, they're, I mean, to my mind, to me, they're just kind of imaginary lines, you know. And, yeah. and, and for people to really see, no, that person over there, you know, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 miles away, is just another human being, and I and I think yeah, Google is Google specifically, like with their Translate um, app, and and Google Plus is showing definitely yeah, that's how it is. We're all just human, so yep. awesome. Absolutely, great. Well, Mike, I really really appreciate you being on. Uh, tremendous guest to have. Thank you so much. Um, and again, we will uh, your Google Plus blog. We will be linking to that in the show notes. Um, is there an easy URL for that one? Yeah, go to Elgin, E-L-G-A-N, dot com, and that will redirect you to my Google Plus profile. Fantastic. That's great. Mike, again, thank you so, so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you, Brian. The pleasure was all mine, and I'm really uh, happy to have been on your show. Thank Pre you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. And this has been Sovereign Tech. Hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, we will see you next week. This is Brian Sovereign. This has been Sovereign Tech. Visit us at SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com. There you can connect with us, see more of what you've heard on today's show, and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is open source. We encourage you to share. Later, nerds. <laughs>